It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the Take Talk Podcast. I'm Steve O'Rourke, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Brett Whitefield. Brett has something he wants to lead the show with. Apparently, it's something super secretive because he refused to tell me before we started, and he told me to blindly believe in him that this isn't going to be any – who even knows? I don't even know. So, Brett, take it away. What do you got for us? So, so Steve, as, as you know, we are doing uh, like an NFL stock exchange type show today. Yes, sir. So I wanted to lead with a stock up that's kind of off the radar and not something we plan on talking about, which is my takes. All right. My takes are stock up because on Friday's show, if you remember, Steve, <laughs> you, Chris, and I, we, we had quite the banter about yes. the, the 49ers Chargers game. Yes. And quote, Stephen O'Rourke said, the 49ers are going to wipe the floor with the Chargers. Now, yeah, granted, the Chargers I... did end up losing that ball game, but at no point in the game were the 49ers wiping the floor with the Chargers, which was my ultimate take. Uh, I thought it would be a close game, and I was correct. And in fact, the Chargers even covered the spread of that game. Yes, they did. So it was a it was a good game. I thought the, char- the <laughs> honestly, I thought the Chargers, given all their injuries, they played well. I mean, I yes. th- I like. Until the fourth quarter, honestly. Yeah, which I think that like eventually it was one of those things where talent just won out. Like if oh yeah, like if Herbert had like a receiver, like Everett dropped a couple like one or two passes that could have changed the game, and then got like I've I've seen it on tape outside of like Williams, like their guys aren't that great at separating. And so, correct. And then couple that with their offensive scheme, where you know the last three weeks, Justin Herbert has an eight out of five point three. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, I mean, it's tough because the Chargers obviously are dealing with a bunch of injuries. But what team isn't at this point in the year? And yeah. I don't know. It's. I, I wanted the Chargers to be better than they were than they are right now, and oh, I think everyone did. I mean, I think every, like the consensus around the league was like, "This is it. This is this is Herbert and the Chargers' time to jump into the spotlight." Here, years of chargering throughout every year, like this was supposed to be the year, and here they are. Joe Lombardi nerfing an offense. Herbert, like, also falling into just not, like, I don't know. He's not as aggressive as he has been before. Like, I feel I feel like he's too, he's almost too quick to go to the check down, even on plays where mm-hmm. guys do come open. I actually went back and watched, um, I'm, you know, we're going through, like, we're going through and doing separation stuff, like tracking wide receiver separation throughout the weeks. And I actually went back and watched uh, chargers against Jacksonville from week three. And 
you see it like Herbert is Herbert is missing some guys downfield that come open and he's he's quick to go to the check down where I feel like in previous years he wasn't as quick and he would take the shot. Yeah, more of a gunslinger. Yeah. So I mean Go ahead. I was just yeah, it's just it's interesting because I feel like not only is the offense Ner- like nerfing them, but Herbert is not doing any favors to try to correct that at all. Yeah. Well, I made that point towards the end of the game where I was like, you know, they got the ball back a couple times with Herbert having the chance to to get his team in the right situation or, you know, scoring, putting points on the board or game winning drive, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And he just looked kind of apathetic, almost like very reserved, like especially when yeah. they were down pinned in the goal line. Like he needed to realize that the way the 49ers were playing, he he had to do that with his legs. Yes. And when you talk about his aggressiveness, that's another area where he's not as um he has not made a lot of plays with his legs lately. He just hasn't. I don't know if he's scared because the injury. It's I mean, I imagine it's gotta be just But the- uh, according to the coach, he's a hundred percent. So I mean, because there were two plays down on that goal line where the the Red Sea parted right in front of him. All he had to do like, you know, you pick up four or five yards on on one scramble, then A, you're off the goal line, so you have a little bit more time to to deliver the ball on the next play, but you also you're in range of another quick scramble for a first down. All they needed was one first down there, and it would have really changed they got they ended up getting one, right? But it just right. it was too late at that right. point. They had to get it sooner than that. Um, the other thing, I, and more credit to you and uh, Chris, you guys were worried about the Chargers defending that run game, which they did a really good job up until the fourth quarter. But yeah. the 49ers had the ball for like 12 minutes in the fourth quarter. They literally gave the Chargers no op- no reasonable opportunity yeah. to put that game away. Yeah. Um, and so the Chargers were winning in that game for – it was something crazy, like 50 minutes or something, 50 minutes of that game. They had the lead, yep. and then they lose by six. But the 49ers just – like they went on like a, an eight-minute drive to start the fourth quarter, and they had, they had another five-minute drive somewhere in there in the fourth – or four-minute drive in the fourth – like they really did a good job of just, you know, we're, we're just going to keep the ball away from them and not give them the chance to, to come up and win this game. And it worked. It worked. So, and that's what kudos to them. That's what San Francisco brings the rest of the year. They, I mean, they have a three-headed monster, two and a half-headed monster, whatever you want to call it, with Mitchell, McCaffrey, and then Debo. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the 49er, That's what getting McCaffrey does is it upgrades your second, your first or second running back to now where you have two guys that legitimately could start for. Of like two thirds of the NFL at least. And like, that's what that's their strength is that they will have that opportunity of when it comes to like nut crunching time at the end of the game, they can put together an eight, an eight minute, 16 play drive and just wear you down and, you know, break, break another team's will. That's what this, that's what this team offers. And that's what like bringing McCaffrey in and, getting Samuel healthy, having like having the run game that they have is that it offers them the opportunity to put games away like this because their defense is good enough that they're, you know, they're not really going to ever get blown out. And I think their defense is struggling a little bit, to be honest. It's been lackluster compared to the beginning of the season when they were on the, when they were on pace to be like, I mean, we were talking, people were talking about them as 
like 2000 Ravens esque. Yeah. Was their trajectory for the year. And that's fallen off. And yeah, injuries have really hurt. Yeah. The back end injuries have hurt. And so, like, I still don't think, like, I still don't think the 49ers are ever going to get, I don't think they're going to give up like 35 points too often. And that having the run game that they have, they can bleed clock. They can kind of control the game with the way that they operate their offense. And that's what bringing in McCaffrey does, despite everyone complain, like, you know, fantasy owners, people kind of complaining about McCaffrey's usage. Mm -hmm. We all like you, you had to know that Kyle Shanahan was never going to have a bell cow back. Right. It was just to, it, it really, I think was just to elevate and have two premier runners in the backfield to where, there isn't any drop off. There isn't any loss in talent of who you're giving the ball to. And it just elevates like every rushing attempt. Do you happen to know what Garoppolo's time to throw was in this game? Uh, I don't have his, ex- I don't have it on hand. Let me hold on. I can pull it up really, really quickly. Well, they ran the ball. So designed runs 36 carries in this game for, 154 yards. That's his, pretty good. It's time to throw is 2.7. 2.7. Yeah. Dang, that's actually pretty pretty big for for Jimmy. I was just wondering how many quick passes they they threw in this game cuz it seemed like there was a ton of quick passes plus the 36 runs like everything was ball control. Right. My only concern for them, well obviously their whole season's going to hinge on what Jimmy's capable of down the stretch. Yeah, it always has. I, I think this this <laughs> beat up run game approach is good against mediocre to bad teams. And the chargers are definitely a mediocre team. Um, but I think once you start getting to the playoffs, you're playing more elite teams. I do right. think they're going to have to score more points. Um, yes. And running the ball, it, it can probably be a detriment because you don't want to be within a score of a lot of these teams in the playoffs that can outscore you. Right. Especially, I mean, fortunately for them in the NFC, maybe they can get away with this all the way to a deep playoff run. Yeah. Cause like who, who's really going to compete with them? I mean, like I don't think they're a very good team. I said that on the last pod, like they're, they're four and four for a reason. They've really struggled with some, some teams. Yeah. But like, I mean, Philly and Minnesota, are probably the clear favorites and they're both, they're very good teams, but they're even flawed. Yeah. You know, they're flawed in their own ways. And so it's like, yeah, 49ers might not be very good, but their game plan might work against anyone in the NFC. And I like like player for player, San Francisco has one I mean, sneakily a t- like a top 3 talented offense in my opinion. Oh, dude. Take away take away Jimmy G and just look at their weapons and like I, it's crazy. I didn't really mm-hmm. I didn't even really realize it till right now, but now that they're fully healthy yeah they like Ayuk, kittle samuel elijah mitchell christian mccaffrey christian mccaffrey i mean Jawan jennings is a, is a very good wide receiver three yeah they're so deep and, um, that, and that is that's a big thing going into the playoffs is that they have a good coach who makes some interesting decisions at times but overall schemes up the offense well and I, th- there'll be a time when it comes down to can our can our guys beat your guys and I would put San Francisco up against anyone. Yeah. Um. 
also, you know what? Let's we can segue right into the stock exchange yep. because I got two guys on here that I want to talk about. Yep. Debo Samuel stock down. Brandon Ayuk stock up. Um, I don't know if you saw Chris's thread on Twitter yesterday. I didn't see it because I'm not on Twitter right now, but Chris sent it to me. Yes. Brandon Ayuk has quietly taken over as the clear wide receiver one for San Francisco. Since week five for the listeners, especially you fantasy players out there. Route share favors Ayuk 88% to Debo's 80%. Target share favors Ayuk 25% to 20%. These numbers seem tight, but that's a lot when you're talking about the grand scheme of what the last eight weeks, basically seven, eight weeks. Yeah. That's a lot. 5% difference in target share. That that is a big difference over the course of that amount of time. Um, yards per route run favors Ayuk heavily, two point five yards per route run to one point five for Debo. First read share, Ayuk thirty five percent to Debo's twenty three percent. That's not even close. Yeah. Yards market share, Ayuk has is uh, at twenty eight percent of the team's passing yardage market share, where Debo's just at sixteen percent. Debo's uh, in 2021, his market share for the team was 34%. So that's a met. He's almost cut his production in half this year in the passing game on a per team basis, which is nuts. So Ayuk has really quietly established himself as the number one receiver in that offense. Now, a lot of this has to do with the fact that Debo has been in the backfield a little bit more. Yep. Um, so his rushing yardage market share, I'm sure is a little bit higher than, Although, I don't know. It probably actually isn't because McCaffrey, before Jeff Wilson, now they have Eli Mitchell. Um, Debo kind of seems roleless right now, as weird as that is. Because the season he had last year, he almost seems like he doesn't have a role. Ayuk is the number one receiver and McCaffrey is the number one back. Like, what do you – he's just a gadget guy? Like, he's just a do-everything? He's, he's just a, he's, de- a decoy, almost. He's such a freaking weapon, though, man. And that's something like they haven't put in like really any focus on him this year. And arguably it's could pay off in the end. Cause if they do like, if they decide to, you know, give him a key role in a game, yeah. you at least know you can put him in that position and you have historically numbers to show that he can hold a like, large share during a game and he can be the bell cow whether it be receiving running and getting like you know getting 15 to 20 touches a game or in a game here's a great Debo stat for you do it Debo he only has 34 catches on the year yet he leads the NFL and force missed tackles in the receiving game with 20 That's- the next closest receiver is Stefan Diggs with 13. And Stefan Diggs has caught more than double the amount of passes. I was going to say that's on, that's got to be on at least double the double the production. Yeah. And then AJ Brown is 3 and Brandon Ayuk is 4th. So it is remarkable what the 49ers have done with their skill players because they they just have a, a boatload of guys that are insane after the catch. I mean uh, Jawan Jennings even is very good. He forces a missed tackle. He averages a forced missed tackle on every fourth catch. He's got seven on 28 catches. 
And he plays a totally different role in those guys. He's more of like a big slot, right? You know, very physical player, oh. not necessarily a, a speed juke you out kind of guy. No, just like an over the middle. Yeah, put him in like space a, and let a big body go to work. Like a vintage Anquan Bolden, almost. I mean, obviously, guys, not on that, not on that <laughs> level. Talking, talking role here, not you not heard skill. It here first, <laughs> yeah. Juan Jennings <laughs> is Anquan Bolden. <laughs> So I do think it's interesting that Debo still clearly has this skill set because there was a lot of talk coming out of camp, Steve, about him being out of shape yep. and overweight because of the contract dispute. They finally got that figured out and uh, he had a slow, a slow start to camp and all that. But I mean, the results in the field have still been very good. He forces a, a missed tackle at an insane rate. His dot is only five, which he, it seems like his skill set perfectly matches Jimmy Garoppolo's, right? Yes. Like you don't expect Jimmy, yeah, you don't expect Jimmy to 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 be a gunslinger and get the ball downfield a lot. So cool. So we're gonna give him guys that just are freaky after the catch. And Debo is definitely that. Didn't, I I would didn't Debo have um like a certain like usage or carry mark or there was I feel there was something that if he hit it he gets in, he gets incentivized in his contract. That is interesting. Keep talking. I'll look that up. Yeah, I I remember from the offseason during their contract dispute because the big thing was Debo did not want to go back in the backfield. He didn't want to be used, oh, got it. used as much. Three Any season he has 380 or more rushing yards, he gets an additional $650,000. Yeah. Which, that's significant. I mean, that's very significant. And if he scores three rushing touchdowns in any one year, he makes an additional 150000 Which is interesting, because so, now his... That's almost a million bucks a year in incentives. Right. And how many how many carries does he have on the year? Because... I'm looking. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It does feel like... Yeah, it's just... They, I And I don't necessarily think it's a knock on Debo. It's more, I, in my opinion, it's more of just a testament to the amount of weapons that they have on their offense that Debo can get buried at times. 28. 28, 28 total crazy. carries on the year. They've played, what, nine games? Yeah. No. Did they play nine or ten? They're six and four, right? Yeah. Or, so no, They're five and four, aren't they? Yes, sorry. Yes, yeah. five and four. Yeah. So played nine games. Um, for what it's worth, he didn't hit 380 last year in the crazy season he had, but he did have eight rushing touchdowns. So he was averaging six over six yards a pop. This year he's still averaging 5.9. Which interesting stuff, but that's, yeah, still good. I mean, six yards a carry to yeah. a guy. That's and then add that he, as a third option to Mitchell who averaged five yards a carry on against the chargers. And then McCaffrey didn't have a great game, but again, it's just, it's so they're so deep and it's funny because every, like it feels like every team, every good team has their fatal flaw this year or something like something that's keeping them from truly taking over and, and dominating in some way, shape or form. Outside yeah. of outside of maybe the Eagles, and I think that that part part of that is just 
the schedule that they've played that nobody's really overly exposed their their flaw but leading it i think we can i think we can see their flaw clearly and what do you think it is i think offensively when they get out of sync and the rpo game isn't working they're not able to put defenses in conflict like we've talked about they they end up struggling and for whatever reason i don't know who who's responsible whether it's hurts or play calling but like they just get into these weird lulls where they're not aggressive. Yeah. Know? And that, um, and we saw that against Washington, like the, the, they were just not very aggressive. And by the time they decided to be aggressive, it was too late. Well, it doesn't help that they freaking fumbled the ball three times either, but right. That's the, like, that's the thing yeah. is take away those, take away three fumbles, a fluke fumble by Quez Watkins and things like that. That game completely flips on its head. It's that's not like necessarily a game plan. Like, okay, the way to beat yeah. the Eagles is, we just have to force three turnovers, <laughs> one on a, and make sure that Quez Watkins trips on a, uh, on a touchdown throw. Like, yeah, they beat them, but like, there's still a lot of things that went Washington's way where the Eagles very well could have been in a position to put up 30 points. But, yep. you know, Good that's point. the way it shakes out and take care of the ball. But that, that to say, Leak, my I'm gonna go stock down on the Buffalo Bills, and specifically Ooh. Josh Allen right now. Brett, I, the last three I, weeks, who has, you know, who has the worst passer rating? I'm gonna guess Josh Allen, <laughs> and it's not close. His, yeah, he's in the last three weeks. Three touchdowns, six interceptions, a passer rating of 67.2, completion percentage, and his ADOT's absurd. It's 10.4, but he has not looked like the guy that, that, had, that was going out there the first seven weeks. No. He, no, the... the- more concerning thing to me, Steve, is the the turnover worthy plays. Yeah, There's, like he looks like the the young Josh Allen. Um, he actually, I'm pretty sure he leads the the NFL in turnover worthy throws since that that time frame you laid out, week eight, seven through ten. Eight point eight percent. Yes, that's crazy. And so, like, wow, he's and he's made some like you saw it against the Jets. He, he has been making some throws where it is very reminiscent of early career Josh Allen. I mean, I know we're still early in his career, but like the first two years, like we're seeing him make throws where it, like all you can look, all you can think is what are you doing, dude? Like, why are you making that yeah. throw? And that's, I mean, it's something to look for. It's something to, to pay attention to going forward because if John like that offense goes as Josh Allen goes. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Same time frame. Same time frame, uh, Steve. Fourth in off target throw rate, too. Just like in not a good way, fourth. That's in yeah. fourth, <laughs> fourth, fourth fourth highest fourth highest off target throw rate in that time frame. Um among guys with seventy five dropbacks. So that's uh yeah, he that offense certainly goes the way he goes, and he has definitely looked flawed. 
I know he's hurt, but it started before the injury, though. A lot of people are forgetting that because I've seen some some chatter about this, especially in the uh, the company Discord here. Yep. Um, he the the bad throws started piling up before he hurt the elbow, and then it just hasn't gotten better since. So, like, yeah, you can maybe you can excuse last game because the elbow, but what about the game or two before that? Yeah, because I mean, the game before he didn't get hurt until the what second to last last. Like it was yeah, very, exactly. It was, it was the end of the game. He yeah, still he had some egregious throws in that game. Oh my god! I mean, like I said, that one where he scrambles out right and he's looking for Dawson Knox and the Jets yeah. just right in front of him and like that. Everyone, I feel like everyone came away saying, like thinking that, oh my gosh, that's a rookie Josh Allen throw right there. Yes, and then he hasn't really done anything to correct that, and that's the thing with the Bills. Their offense, like we said, it goes with Josh Allen. They don't have a run game to really fall back on. They had me Josh Allen in the run game, but they it's not they they're a pass heavy team and that's how they move the ball. It's all predicated on Josh Allen scrambling, Josh Allen getting the ball to his receivers and then, you know, couple that with the run game being a minor complementary piece that they throw in to, from time to time. And if they if Josh Allen keeps playing like this. It this team could be in trouble. I mean, thankfully they still have their, their defense is still very very good. Yep. But defenses now know or defenses secondaries now know that they can if they can muck up the coverage a little bit and force Josh Allen to it's almost like get him out of structure and make him throw out of structure lately. Right, which is where he was dominating early in the year and all of last year. Right. It's like extending those plays, you just make magic happen. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, he obviously can bounce. He can bounce back at any point, and hopefully that elbow heals up and he's able – and maybe that is a contributing factor. It probably is to some extent. But it's just something to pay attention to as the season goes forward. And I hope it improves because Buffalo has a, this is like a great opportunity for them to really, you know, go on a run this year. And it's just interesting to see him kind of regress back to some of the old decision-making that he had in his first two years. And just to see if, you know, how they fix that from a coaching standpoint, how they fix that just from Josh Allen's standpoint of, Maybe you tr- maybe you tell him to just take off a little bit more rather than force a, force a ball out of structure when you're out of the pocket because a Josh Allen scramble is just as I mean just as valuable arguably as some as and it's more valuable than him you know throwing these lollipops to the to the defenders and throw you know turning the ball over I mean he's at he's in the last three games, he has 11 scrambles for 153 yards. Yeah. And so maybe it is just, maybe it is just telling him like, Hey, take off a little bit more. Trust your legs. Yep. I, I mean, if they, if they're going to hit their ceiling, he has to get back to delivering the ball accurately and taking care of the football. So that's the other thing too, Steve. A lot of these crazy bad throws he's made hasn't cost them a ton yet. No, they have There's been some dropped interceptions. There's been uh, – so he's had a little bit of luck there despite, 
you know, and, and they still have lost two in a row. So with that said, Steve, they, you know, with the Buffalo Bills losing two in a row and the Miami Dolphins going into the or playing at home against Cleveland Browns and beating the absolute breaks off of them and taking control first place in the, in the division. Now, I think Miami and Tua is a huge stock up. This team is rolling right now. Huge. Steve, the level, the offensive prowess they showed this game was insane. Tua averaged nine yards drop back, nine yards per attempt. The running backs were averaging seven yards a carry in this game on like heavy volume, like 28 to 30 carries. They were doing whatever they wanted whenever they wanted to against this Cleveland defense, and it was ugly. Um, every single drive was methodical. I th- I think I texted you and Chris at one point that every, every drive they had in that game went for at least 50 yards <laughs> or more. I don't know if it I don't know if it actually ended up finishing that way, but yeah, it looks like it did actually. Well, minus minus turnovers. Like the drive they they got because of a turnover or something. Right. But every drive where they started in, you know, after a punt or a kickoff or whatever, that that subsequent drive went over 50 yards or more. Actually 65 yards or more. So it was methodical. They literally just dissected the Cleveland Browns and tore them apart. Tua is playing out of his mind still. I I mean, he over the course he's played eight games, seventy one percent completion percentage, nine point one yards per attempt, eighteen touchdowns, three interceptions, hundred eighteen point four passer rating, and an A dot of eight point eight. He's doing it all. And just a three point and just a three point two percent turnover worthy throw, which is about league average. And he's cut that down the last the last four weeks, he's cut that down to two point three percent. So like he's he's getting a little bit better in that regard, and I, like with Tua at the helm, I genuinely don't know what the game plan is to stop this team, on it from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, I mean the the way I would do it, Steve, is you flood the short parts of the field, intermediate parts of the field, and you make Tua beat you deep with his arm. And hope that Tyreek doesn't just moss you to pieces. So almost just play because he because just play a cover. Yeah, he, just play a cover two sink and just sit a level of guys at the at. I don't even know if you can sink because then you'll get all the yak. That's true. That's what the Rams do, and they get shredded. Yeah, I I would probably. Yeah, you have to force Tua to throw deep, and you got to hope your corners are physical enough to beat Tyreek at the catch point. Because Tua is going to underthrow those deep balls. We've talked about that at nauseum on this this podcast. Yeah, and it, he is going to underthrow deep balls. He's not going to hit guys in stride, which is fine. He's got the receivers to make plays, but you need your corners to get physical at the catch point. You got to train that all week. Like, hey, we're going to be physical at the catch point. Physical at the and, catch point. Having safeties that are high pointing the ball. And, yep. Yeah. Other like. Other than that, they've looked so efficient on offense. They've looked so good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and Tua lead, leading the charge, and it's if they can, if this run game is going to do what it did against Cleveland. Now, granted, Cleveland's interior defensive line was an issue at the beginning of the season. It was an issue coming into the season. I think that they purposefully did that in a way 
because they, I think they took stock and they said, well, if we're going to have one flaw in defense, we can handle it being the interior defensive line because I think their thought process was our past defense is going to be so good that we're going to make a team one dimensional, force them to run the ball. And then at that point we can focus on the run. Their secondary hasn't been what they wanted it to be. And their pass rush has been somewhat lackluster as well, but either way, if Miami can couple that run game with this pass offense, good luck to the NFL because they are clicking on all cylinders. They're firing on all cylinders right now. And there, it doesn't seem like they're stopping anytime soon. I have a couple crazy stats for you. If you had to guess who the top five quarterbacks in deep throw rate are without looking, who would you guess? Deep throw rate. Um, all right, well, Minimum 75 dropbacks. Okay. Just to, just to cut out some guys who've barely played. Top five, I'd probably say Tua, Geno, Josh Allen. Um, Tua, Geno, Josh Allen. Maybe Lamar. And then Patrick Mahomes. You got one right. I got one? That was, Yikes. That was Tua. It's brutal. <laughs> Philip Walker is number one. He's barely played enough to hit the cutoff, so it is what it is. Tua is number two at 12.9% of his throws have been 20 yards or more downfield. That has got to be the most shocking statistic of all time. Or close to it. That's crazy. I mean, if you... Kudos kudos to them, man. If you told people last year, Tua Tua will get Tyreek and his his deep throw percentage will be top two in the NFL, people would think you're crazy. Here's a... I actually have a third stat too, but anyways, rounding up the top five, Jared Goff at 12%, 12% of his passes have been deep throws. Did not see that coming either. Jalen Hurts, 11.7%. That makes sense. I think you probably just forgot to put him in there. Oh yeah, that does make sense. Um, The fifth one is wild though. Marcus Mariota, 11.3%. I guess it is either deep ball or bust for him. Like there's no short game. There's no intermediate. There's nothing. (laughs) It's just... Just I'm gonna run around like a like a chicken with my head cut off and chuck it deep and and miss Kyle Pitts by five yards. Yeah, right. Who's wide open? Wide yeah. open. Um, Mahomes is six though. Here's the other crazy stat. Well, then I do have one more. <laughs> um, Tua is dead last in the NFL in the amount of yards that have come after the catch. Really? With Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill. Cedric Wilson, Eric Ezunkama, Mike Gesicki. He ranks dead last in yards after catch. That stat, I almost couldn't sleep last night thinking about that, Steve. That's that mind-blowing. I was so paranoid that this stat was wrong. I actually randomly picked four Tua games and checked our target yard lines. Just to make sure we were right about that. Because that is insane. Dead last in the NFL in the amount of yards after catch. I can't even, bro. I have so much more respect for Tua than, because I assumed a lot of his production was yards after catch. You know, throw it, utilizing that short game, 
having Hill and Waddle just go nuts because that's what they do. That's what those guys are capable of. So I guess what I, I the reason I bring these up too, Steve, is because I don't even think they've fully reached their pinnacle. And it's funny you say that because like <laughs> as I like reactionary, obviously it's like that's crazy. But as you think about it, they haven't really used any short game with no. They throw screens at a really low rate. Yeah, yeah they th- they throw screens at a really low rate. Um, I do think some of the yards after catch thing is to his arm strength. Yep. A lot of times, by the t- time the ball is getting to the to the receiver, there's a defender closing on them. Yep. But that will not hold Hill and Waddle back forever. I do think at some point you see those guys start f- going nuts. This and and scheme wise, they're like like we said, they're not really scheming the yards after catch. Wait till they do that. Right. That's the thing. Is wait till they do that. You, like this it, this offense is got room to grow still yeah because they could you know if they if they hit a wall in 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 half a game in the first half where you know the deep ball isn't there they're the second the opposing secondary is kind of shutting things down they can switch it up and just say okay we're just going to run crossers and we're just going to run slants and we're just going to put Tyreek and Jalen Waddle in open space and just get it to him short and let him go Yep, and they and, right. and they can open up a screen game. They can do jet sweeps, things like that. That like open up yak opportunities, open up you know the opportunity for getting defenses to play them up, and then go deep over the top after that. Yes. All right, I've got one more crazy stat for you, especially for you fantasy players out there. I don't know how I want to present it yet. No, I'll present it like this. All right. If before the season, I told you that through 10 weeks, two would have 41 rushing yards or 41 yards on scrambles, I should say. But despite that fact, he would lead all quarterbacks in fantasy points per drop back with the mark of 0.62. Would anyone on planet earth believe me? They'd believe you with this. They'd believe you with the scrambling part. And then they'd, and then they wouldn't believe you after that. It is so rare in today's NFL to have a quarterback lead in fantasy points per dropback that literally doesn't run. Yeah, Tua has not really run this year at all. I mean, he's basically just a pure dropback pocket passer right now. Look at the guys he's surrounded with. or So he's number one. Look at the next five, six guys. Patrick Mahomes has 200 rushing yards on scrambles. Josh Allen has 352. Justin Fields has 445. Jalen Hurts has 170. Geno Smith has 170. Lamar Jackson, 156. Like, that's where a lot of these fantasy juggernauts get their points is in the run game, and Tua hasn't had to do that. Right. It's pretty it, – that's that stat is also mind-blowing to me. I wouldn't – I did not think in the range of outcomes for this fantasy season was Tua leading – all quarterbacks and fantasy points per drop back. That is wild to me. So hats off to Miami. Cause I like until they play Buffalo again, they they're set up. They're set up to be so, so good the rest of the year. There's, they just continue continually add pieces to the, uh, to their offensive game that make it more and more dangerous. Mike McDaniel is proving to be a very effective play caller, very effective offensive like schemer and this is I, I don't like he never had play calling duties either like he was always 
a part of it, obviously, but he was never responsible for play calling. And holy cow, what a way to make your mark on the yeah. league and, you know, yep. annou- announce the arrival of you and your offense. Yes, sir. And there was a lot of naysayers, too, when they traded for Tyreek Hill. Like, oh, how can – like, this is going to be a run-heavy offense. How can they sustain Hill and Waddle? And two is not that good. And, well, they've literally proven everyone wrong about everything. Yes. It is pretty remarkable. Anyways, let's move on. We spent a lot of time on that. Um, I'm going to throw a stock down. I got a lot more stock ups than I do down, Steve, but there's one yeah. – two more stock downs for me that I really want to talk about. Okay. We'll start with this one. The Los Angeles Rams. Oh, and this is going to transition to my next stock up, too. So I'm sorry for for stealing a lot of the spotlight right now, but I got two, two to talk about back-to-back. That's all right. And L.A., stock way down. Way down. Who's to the, the point where, like, Steve, are they just going to call it quits for the year? I, like, there is so much going, like, going not necessarily wrong, but just like injury, bad luck on the offense. Cause yes. obviously Cooper cup just got put on IR and based on what I saw from our own Edwin, our, yeah. our in-house doctor at fantasy points, like it doesn't, it looks like the recovery back from this is not only really hard, but it also lead, it also can lead to some just long term issues that could affect both his bo- his bounce back and his long term longevity. Yes, I I'm actually trying to find what Edwin's Edwin said the procedure he's going to go through isn't too bad. Um, what did he say here? Hold on, hold on, hold on. And also, like I mean, we're still dealing tightrope with- surgery. Okay. He said it's pretty quick unless they're in play for a wild card spot. I can't see him beating five weeks, though. Would be Tua-esque and risky. So basically what Edwin's saying is it doesn't matter. Like this is a – in the grand scheme of surgeries you could go under, like go through, this is probably a quick one. Right. But Steve, just doing basic math here, let's say they win one or two of the next five games. That puts you at four and eight, four and nine. Why would you bring him back? And we ta- and we touched on it um, a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. I don't fully remember, but we they kind of have a gauntlet of a schedule coming up too. It yes. doesn't it does not lighten up in any way, shape, or form. They have a pretty brutal schedule down the stretch, and they we do. still and that still is dealing with the that's not even including everything going on with Matthew Stafford being in the concussion protocol and. Sean McVay reportedly not knowing what's going on there. Yeah. And so you're down your best receiver who was really the only thing working in this offense. Genuinely the only thing that worked for this offense and the old, right. the old and the reason, offense wasn't good with him on the field. Yeah, even. No, it was still brutal. <laughs> so. It was fair. I mean, Matthew Stafford is having arguably his worst year ever maybe it's got to be up there i don't i don't think you're far off either way 6.7 percent deep throw rate 6.1 a dot eight touchdowns eight interceptions 
6.1 ADOT, you said? Yeah. So that put that's second worst of his career. I think the the Lombardi year he was at five nine. So so if you're you're putting up Joe Lombardi esque ADOT, something is terribly wrong in LA. So yeah. And yeah, losing losing cup is really a detriment and they have no run game which apparently is just matthew stafford's cross to bear in life is just that (laughs) hey you're just never gonna have a run game it's just the way it is (laughs) but it and this will be a it's gonna be a great offseason topic i think for us and also really plays into what we've been what we've talked about all year with team building is just discussing the just the strategy and how it's played out for the Los Angeles Rams with the way they've built this team and this oh, like man. they had it's crazy because last year it was the best case scenario fruits of the labor everything panning out and now this year you're getting everything that's wrong with building your team this way. Well, Steve, if they lose in the Super Bowl and then this happens, this looks like a colossal failure. A hundred percent. Absolutely. No, I, I'm not going to take away the Super Bowl because you can't play that game. They won it. They won the Super Bowl. So it, it looks like it's worth it. Yep. The big question is going to be how long does this approach set them back for in the future? I mean, they like if genuinely if Cup and Stafford – miss obviously cup's gonna miss extended time if stafford if stafford misses any more time yeah they're looking at giving up a top three pick to detroit yeah did i see he's officially in the protocol now he's been in the protocol no he's still he's still in the protocol he's been in it and again it was uh, there's reports that sean mcveigh is doesn't know they like haven't even said he has a concussion yet technically is what i've heard it's just that he's in protocol Wow. Yeah, you got it. So you got to wonder. You hate to speculate too much about stuff, but Steve, like, cups down. They're, what are they, three and seven? Yep. Er. So cups down for the, at least the next four weeks, according to Dr. Edwin here at uh, Sorry, Points. Sorry, three and, three and six. Three and six. Okay. So they're three and six. Cups down for the next four, according to our, our own Edwin. He's probably five, six weeks out. Yep. Whew. They have to go to Kansas City in week 12. Uh, I'm sorry. It, like, I don't know if, if Stafford isn't, say he misses this week with concussion protocol. I don't know. I want to I want to bring him back against Kansas City. He's going to be a sitting duck. That offensive line's terrible. Kansas City's pass is really good. Kansas City's going to score a ton of points. You're going to be behind all game. You really want Stafford dropping back 40 times in that game, coming off a concussion? No. Nope. nope. Without Cooper Cup, nope. I you do have to start to wonder: Are they just going to shut this thing down? The problem is they don't have their own first round pick. So what incentive do they have to shut it down? Other than let's make sure guys are healthy for next year. That's I mean that's really the play because this is they're not necessarily doomed for the future. Like they still have all like a bunch of their pieces. Well, they're, they're not doomed, but their window is rapidly shrinking. It's it's falling apart quickly with this type of year. And it also doesn't help that when you employ this strategy, it works when you are hitting on your second, th- 
third, fourth round picks. They haven't been doing that. They haven't been drafting very well late in like the last right. like two or three years. And that's where, and that's really where I think that this is falling apart. And because you, you can go get the superstar talent and that all works again. If you, if you start hitting on some of those draft picks and they haven't in the last two years, or at least they haven't hit Steve, at a high rate. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Oh, and this is a perfect segue to the stock up team. Nice. That I want to do. When approximately when did LA lose Brad Holmes and Ray Agnew? It was right around the time that they inexplicably <clears throat> couldn't draft secondary. Two years anymore. ago. Yeah. Two years ago. So I'm not saying those were the, the string pullers, but I do know Brad and Ray are great evaluators of college football players. I do know phenomenal. I do know that That's if what they you do. look at the rookies that Detroit is trotting out there right now, especially on the defensive end, right. they're getting a, a lot of production out of them. Yeah, they kind of have I mean, to. That's have, all they yes, have left. They have to, <laughs> so obviously, but they're still like they're performing well too. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of NFL teams in the league that are starting what five rookies. Is that what they're at? Let's see, Rodriguez, Hutchinson, Joseph, Pashal, Pashal. That's four. Um, I feel like there was another one in there. Maybe, but either way, four rookies. Yeah. At like, uh, you know, defensive ends, a premier position, defensive line, safety is pretty cr- like a, becoming a little bit more of a crucial position. But yeah. all that to say that I'm nervous for what, or like, I'm nervous for what the Rams are doing going forward. Yes. And this is. I brought I brought up Holmes and, and Agnew, Steve, because this is my stock up team is the Detroit Lions. It feels and the main reason, yeah, the reason good. why these the reason why these two teams are connected is because the Detroit Lions own the Rams' first round pick next year or this coming draft, and with the Rams literally in a tank right now, un, unintentionally in a tank, the, that pick for the Lions is getting better and better to the point where now they've actually leapfrogged. The Lions' own pick is now a lower pick or a high. How do you say it? I don't know. It's a it's a worse pick than the Rams' yes. pick. They're getting yeah. back. The Rams are giving them a top ten pick at this point, and the the Lions are just outside the top ten with their own pick. So it's like both these things are happening. Well, the Lions are starting to win some games. They've won two in a row. They went into Chicago this week. They won thirty one to thirty, picking up Dan Campbell's first road win and his first back to back. And, so not and, only are they winning games on the field, but they're winning with draft picks that LA is giving them. That makes that Stafford trade look a lot better too, by the way. And matching their win total from last year already. Yes. And that's that's a big point I wanted to make. Steve, we've been critical of the Lions. You listen to local talk radio. They want everyone fired. But if before the season started, I said, hey, Steve, halfway through the season, they're already going to have as many wins as they had last year. There isn't anyone in Detroit that would say that's a bad, that's a that's a, a loss of a season, right? And yet, you, for some reason, people have changed their minds. And two, like two games, they've had two games that they were out of, like a hundred percent out yes. of. Other right. than that, they have been competitive, and they have been right there in it toward like at the end of almost every game. And yep. now we're starting to like you're starting to see a little bit of regression to the mean when it comes to one score games yes you're starting to see they lost to the seahawks by three points right you're starting to see 
this te- that team pull out wins, close wins. Like they're t- they seem to be turning a corner in a way. And on the defensive end, and I've been quietly watching this because I didn't know how much credence there was to it, but you're also seeing turnover regression. Brett, they've the Detroit Lions lead the NFL in turnover worthy percentage against their defense at eight point eight percent. And they wow. and before up until I think it was week eight, they had had one interception. You know what's crazy though, Steve? You know who's making those plays? It's the young guys. It's it not is. the vets. It's Jeff Akuda's. It's Kirby Joseph, it's Jerry Jacobs. Those guys are out there laying it out on the line, and they're starting to play a lot better. Um, Steve, they've lost four games, or I'm sorry, they've lost six games so far. As you mentioned, they were they've been in every game but two. Of the the four losses they have, where they were in those games, they've lost those four games by a combined total of fourteen points. So we are literally talking about four plays. They are f- making four plays away from this thing. You, I know you can't play that game. I'm just simply pointing out this team has been competitive all year. They're three and six, won their first back-to-back. Like, th- for sure stock up just on performance on the field. And then you've also, you see the development of the young guys. Hutch is, you know, crucial sack uh, this week yep. in, in clutch time. Also, he f- that Jeff Akuda pick six was pretty much Hutch's play. Hundred percent. Hutch Hutch made the play. Akuda finished a it. Beautiful, beautiful read on a on a tight end screen. Right, beautiful. Uh, Akuda having that pick six. He's been pretty good all year, actually, despite the woes they've had in coverage. You've got Kirby Joseph making play after play now in the secondary. Rodrigo's look great on the field. The so the young guys are coming into their own. They are playing very well, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not ever worried about their offense, by the way. No. Um, I know golf isn't the long-term guy. I think everyone's confident in saying that. Dude. But, you know, they, they've got picks coming out their ears right now. So, Yeah, I mean, if you had told the Detroit fan you'd have a t- you'd potentially have a top three pick at the end of the year, it'd be like, oh, well, another crap season. Here we go. So we've always, yeah. we've, they've been waiting for the quarterback to get a quarterback in for golf, but here they are, they're in a position to potentially get a top three pick and they don't, they can still keep winning. Yes. Like a top three to five to seven. Like I don't really see Los Angeles getting out of the top seven right now. I don't see a pathway where they're not in the top seven picks. Yep. They have to play. They have to go to the chiefs or Kansas city week 12 to play the chiefs. They have a winnable game this week against the Saints. Although I'm not sure any game is super winnable for them right now because they look terrible. Stafford um, doesn't play. I mean, right? They, like, so I don't, I don't want to get back on the yeah, Rams, but yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it does hinge on that that Lions pick. So I, I am curious. At some point, I want to sit down and really figure out how low can that Rams pick go. Like, could they get top five? I mean, they're at seven right now. They're at seven. They've only won three games. They have, I think they play the Seahawks twice. They got the Chiefs, the Chargers. Um, there's another decent team in there. They'll have San Fran one more time too, right? Or have they played them twice? I believe that's true, but I'm not 100% sure. Either way, brutal schedule. No, no they played 
Sorry. Yeah, I think they play him one more time. You're right. Yeah. Brutal schedule down the stretch. And the, I mean, the biggest thing for what we were asking and last thing, and then we'll move on, is the incentive to not shut it down is that they don't have their own draft pick. That's like the one thing that would stop yeah. them from shutting it down completely is that there's no reason to, other than like your second round pick, their second round pick could get higher. But you definitely don't want to face the backlash of handing off a top five pick to another team. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that. All right, let's let's wrap that. Yep. Let's wrap that. Yep. Um, th- throw out a throw out another stock up if you got one. Stock up is Kurt Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, I too have the Vikings on here. I I know, I and I that's... wanted to jump on this because. I have never felt better about a preseason take and I'm going to hang my hat on the fact oh, that yeah. I, I've never felt better about a preseason take of saying the Vikings are going to be good. And it's, and not because they're necessarily really that good. It's just going to kind of happen. And that's exactly what's happening. But in the last three weeks, we're starting to see their offense evolve a little bit. Well, yeah, they have the illustrious TJ Hawkins in now, so yes, everything yes. makes sense. He is opening up. So. He is opening up the entire offense in a way that no one could. It's for sure not having probably the best receiver in the NFL. Who, if you throw the ball up to, he'll snatch it from anywhere, anyone, at any time. Steve, there was a point in this game, though. I know I don't want to detract from your amazing Vikings take and how great they are, but just just for laughs. <laughs> There was a point in this game where Hawkinson had like seven targets and he was responsible for negative yardage because of his, uh, his, because the, the OPI, which he had like seven targets. I think five were catches for like 20 is like five for 20 <laughs> on that set line. And then an OPI, it, it was something crazy. Maybe. Yeah. It, it was something crazy like that. I'm just like, this is hilarious. Um, Oh, he had two penalties in the game, right? Didn't he have a holding call in the run game too? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is pretty funny. But you you made this – this was a great call, Steve. And so stock up Steve O'Rourke's takes as well. I thought for a second you were going to get costanza on this take because week one they looked good. They yeah. destroyed the Packers. Yeah. And then week two, I, watching them in primetime against the Eagles, I'm like, ha, there they are. That's the Vikings <laughs> I know and love. There's the Kirk I know and love. So I thought you were getting Costanza for sure. And then, and then no, you, it turns out you were spot on with this. And like, um, it's crazy. Cause what do they do really well? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, Jeff, Justin Jefferson's the best receiver in football. Well, second best receiver in football. Yeah. They're finally feed like this, like this week, last week, they're finally starting to feed him more. Kirk cousins in the last three weeks, his a dot is up to 8.2. The previous, um, the previous six weeks or seven weeks, he was hovering around 6.1. 5.7, actually. 5.7 yeah. the first seven weeks, up to 8.2 the last three weeks. The offense is starting to evolve a little bit. Kirk Cousins is pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. And that, I mean, it just lend, it just allows, it opens up the, the running game, which you saw a little bit this week. And they're, I mean, they're just showing that they can win in crunch time because they have like they are the kind of the antithesis to the Lions where the Lions have lost 
X amount yes. of one score games by so true by so little. The Vikings are pulling out one score games and winning these winning these games that come down to one play, one drive, one thing, and it's a combination of being good, getting lucky. I mean, who could have pred- like who could have seen a Josh Allen fumble at the goal line? Um, well, we'll talk about that in a second, right? And who could have? Seen, we'll talk about that because I want to talk about the the elephant in the room. And who could have seen KJ Osborne coming on wide open on a corner route against Detroit? Like they're, but they're taking advantage. That's the biggest thing, and that's Me. what the NFL is about: is taking advantage of like those yeah. opportunities. They still do one thing that drives me absolutely up a wall, though. <laughs> What's that? They go through these weird stretches where they just stop targeting Justin Jefferson for like a long period of time. Yeah. And then it's all of a sudden like Kirk realizes, you know what? I think in order to score, we got to throw it to him. And then they'll target him like five plays in a row. But it's the last few games I've, I've like, you know, what I've been charting live. And I'm just like, dude, I don't like, I'll go back and look at the play log. Like, dude, they haven't targeted Jefferson in like a quarter and a half. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, boom, boom. And then I want to talk about the catch, Steve. Yeah. That was the greatest catch in NFL history. I'm talking about the Justin Jefferson one, not the Stefan Diggs one. Stefan Diggs catch was great. Justin Jefferson's was the best ever. And they were basically the same catch, except Jefferson took the ball from a defender with one hand. Yes. It... (laughs) Given situate like situation and everything, it, I think it is. I, I I agree. Well, that too. Like situ- was it fourth and eighteen? Yeah, fourth and eighteen. <laughs> the ball was literally in a defender's hands. Two hands. Two hands. At the top top of his jump, Jefferson basically does the OBJ catch, the famous OBJ catch, except that he had to rip the ball out of the defender's hands with one hand and right. still catch it. It was so unbelievable. I actually didn't believe it happened. I was like, there's no way that was a catch, right? That didn't just happen, right? Which like those are and, like those are the crazy things that are going their way because if that defender's not there, Jefferson doesn't make that catch. I You do have to wonder that, right? Like, like does the ball just skip off of his hand? Right, because if you look at where his hand like he gets he kinda like weasels his fingertips and kinda like gets his hand corralled around it. But if the defender's not there to make that catch, I don't think Jefferson makes that catch. If the defender just lets it go over his head or takes a chance and like let's see if he can make an insane catch, which like nobody's ever gonna do. Like I'm not saying that that's a reasonable thing to expect a defender to do when yeah. you have a fourth. But still, like those are the things that are breaking their way. Is you're getting catches like that where you it's the perfect set of circumstances that that catch can happen. Steve, it's a turnover worthy throw. Yeah. Like we charted as turnover worthy. How many turnover worthy throws do you see happen get caught by the offense without a, like a weird deflection or a weird bounce or something? Rare. I mean, rarely. Like ever. He, Jefferson was the intended target. Kirk overthrows him by a country mile, and he still ca- caught the ball anyways. Very rare. Team of destiny was the phrase I wanted to use. Yes, and it played itself out in this game. If we just go through what happened in this game, Minnesota is driving. Um, they were down, what were they down? 27, 24. They're down three. Yep. Right. Where's it only three? This is, yeah. Cause this is after, um, this is after, what do you call it? Being down, coming back from down 24, 10. No, so sorry. They were down four. It was 27 to 23. 
is what the score was. Okay. 27 to 23. From fourth and one from the Buffalo one, the Vikings tried the most vanilla QB sneak ever to score. Have they not watched any tape on what the NFL is doing this year? Like, even the Eagles, even the Bills, even the Chiefs with these big, huge, muscular, athletic quarterbacks are still using the rugby plays. They're still creating the scrum where they put the fullback behind or, or a tight end behind, right behind the quarterback, and they're just ramming them up the defense's throat. No. Vikings like, no, we don't need to do that. We, we got Kirk Cousins, man. A little scrawny, scrawny little whiny guy. We're just going to have him sneak it right up the middle. He didn't even move. <laughs> He didn't even move. He, looked, he didn't like, move his feet. He just stood there. Right? He, he stopped just, the ball and stood He went it. like this. He he took the snap and then just stuck his hands out like that right. was enough. Like there's not a wall in front of him. You know, like. <laughs> but anyway, so he got stopped. The Bills get the ball back. All they have to do is successfully run a play, and the game is over. Basically, yeah. I think Minnesota had one timeout left, so they had to run two successful plays, and the game is over. And Josh Allen fumbles the freaking snap, and the Vikings recover it for a touchdown to kick an extra point to go up by three points. Which I did. Unbelievable. See, I did see someone say, and this is it's interesting. Like looking back at um, how crazy good that play by New England at the end of the Super Bowl, where they intercepted the ball against uh, the Seahawks. Yeah, like that just shows how crazy, like how crazy good uh, Tom Brady is at QB sneaks because it was the exact same situation. They're on like the half yard line and that's true. Same type of stuff could have happened either way. That's I did see someone say that. And I was like, Oh, that I thought, Oh, that's pretty interesting because there are a lot more scenarios where that can go wrong, especially on a QB sneak. Like not everybody's good at QB sneaks and it's a, it's a thing, but yeah, I just, and, yeah. and that's just, you know, it, Back to what we said with Buffalo, like these are the plays that Josh Allen is these turnover plays that can't you can't let happen. Yep. And um, and Minnesota on the other side, like their defense, their pass, their passing defense has given up yardage. Like they probably they've given up, uh, like up in the top five, top five to seven. Um, totally passing yards over the course of the season, but they're forcing turnovers. They have 10 interceptions. They're, you know, they are making plays when they need to. And that could come back to bite them a hundred percent playing that type of, that type of defense where you're giving up 7.9 yards per attempt. You're giving up 67% completion percentage, like in a 7.9, a dot, like that can come back to bite you. But if you can force turnovers and if you can, the offense can move the ball, then they're going to, I mean, they're going to keep rolling. And I, what it's a schedule where they still get, I think every NFC North team one more time, which the rest of the NFC North is not the best. They're the Packers, Aaron Rodgers declared not dead. The lions we said were stock up. The bears are, a frisky team. They're fun. They're going to, they're going to make things interesting for almost every game the rest of the way, I think, but not great teams. I mean, Minnesota has a chance to really, really get themselves into a great position, potentially a two. And, you know, maybe the, maybe 
the Philadelphia Eagles slip up once or twice more, and now you're looking at a a, a buy and a um a home a couple home playoff games. They're yeah. they're set up pretty well for the rest of the, for the rest of the year, and especially if like I said, if if Kirk Cousins is going to keep trending toward his a dot going up and targeting Justin Jefferson more and doing things like that, then this team's only going to improve. Right. I have two more notes on the Vikings. Yeah. One good, one bad. Um, actually, one was about a Bills player after the game. I think he should be banned from football for what he said. Cornerback Christian Bedford said after the, the game that Justin Jefferson wasn't, quote, that hard to cover. Brother. Dude. He just nuked your entire squad. And he worked you for six catches and 87 yards and a pass interference penalty, which turned the tide of the game. Maybe sit that one out. I don't know. And you're a rookie. <laughs> and you're like a six-round rookie. Yeah. And like, yeah, you, you had, he had good moments in there. He did have an interception, right? And yep. I think he had another forcing completion maybe. Yep. But, bro, the guy, you just gave up 200 yards to him as a team. You were responsible for half that plus a pass interference. Relax. Just relax. <laughs> You don't have to say that. You don't have to be that delusional to say that. In fact, maybe you should just say, really good competitor. Guy's a baller. I felt like we, you know, we did the best we could to contain him, and I think I made a couple good plays, but man, hats off to Justin for destroying us and single-handedly winning that game for his team. And um, it's been floating around, and I've seen a lot of people touch on it, and I feel I'm just going to touch on it again because it's that impressive. Next-gen stats had... I think it was eight um, targets of Justin Jefferson had a less than 50% completion percentage <laughs> um, probability, and he caught all eight. So That's crazy. Okay, so. Good luck, because he's, in, he's insane. Yeah. He's insane. And he's insane. honestly, like, they should. I don't think it's crazy to say that Justin Jefferson should get three to five targets a quarter, no matter what. Yes. No matter what they should give. They, and they don't scheme anything to him. No, they, like, they sh- like when they go on these long stretches where he's not getting targeted, I feel like they just need to call a screen, a smoke or a screen to him just to be like, we got to make sure the defense doesn't sleep on this guy. Like we want to keep him involved, keep him, you know, feeling motivated and like he's in this. I mean, he has because um, it, it blows my mind. He has a five percent, five percent designed play to him over the course of the season. Just to give you an idea of like guys around him that are you know of equal value, you've got Cooper Cup has a twenty three percent design percentage. DeAndre Hopkins has had ten uh, about eleven percent so far. Tyree kills at 11%. Stefan Diggs is at 16%. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown's at 11%. Like yeah. you do have some in there. Like Devonte Adams only has 3%. CD lamb, 5.7%. Uh, AJ Brown, 6.8%. But still like to have a player like Justin Jefferson, I, that I feel like that number should be up at 10%. Yep. 10, 10% a game should be standard design a play to go to him because he isn't like, he is a great after the catch guy. He can 
do things with his legs. Like he's a great athlete. Give him a chance. Keep giving him, keep giving him opportunities to go make plays because he's just one of those guys where if you just keep feeding him, something good's going to happen. Exactly. He's going to break at some point. They can't cover him for the entire game. The only way you can cover him for an entire game is if you let them. And that's by not targeting him. Right. All right. Last Viking player I want to talk about is Christian Darisaw, offensive tackle. The guy is playing out of his mind right now, especially in the run game. I I'm in, in the process of making a uh, like a cut up yep. of his some of his blocks, dude. Nice. Holy crap! Holy crap! I'm gonna drop it in in the work chat just so people can see the level of dominance this dude has displayed. He's there's like when you're evaluating offensive linemen, there's always like two different buckets of plays you put things in. Like yep. I want to see how consistently you're not missing assignments. So most good offensive linemen do that a lot. Those dominating blocks you see with like pancakes and guys just getting tons of vertical and horizontal displacement. It's pretty rare in the NFL. Yeah. Not for Darisaw. He kind of has some Trent Williams to him where he is absolutely mauling dudes in the run game. He's yeah. He's not missing assignments, but he's also just, just flacking people. So, that's a huge win for them. they've been desperate for a game like a a needle mover on the offensive line for years. years. And I think they have one. They've been it's it's been kind of a rotating cast of misfits, throwaways, yeah. retreads, just trying to find bad, something bad to average. Right, trying to find something yeah. any type of O-line combination that works and now having an anchor at a premier position like Darisaw, like that changes how you can how you can build your offensive line. Yep. Yep. That's it. Um Love it. stock up, man. They look great. Um I'll throw I have like three players I want to quickly get through. We do have to get wrapping up soon. Yep. So three players of stock up I wanted to get through, and this is pretty fantasy related. And I'm literally just gonna just blaze through it the lat the third guy that i end on we can open that up for discussion okay one i just want to mention joe mixon um he has kind of turned things around weeks one through six the man averaged 3.3 yards a carry he only forced seven missed tackles on 104 carries averaging less than 1.4 yards per carry or yards after contact per carry it was terrible his he had one explosive run those first six weeks Weeks seven through ten, completely different story. Five point one yards per carry. He's literally doubled the force miss tackle rate. He's had seven force miss tackles, so as many as he had in the first six weeks in his last three games, which is nice. His yards um, after contact per carry has gone up, not enough, but it has gone up. Subsequently, he's scored six touchdowns over that span, and he's putting in work. First down rate, everything. <laughs> How many of them came against Carolina? <laughs> Five. <Yeah. laughs> well, four, four rushing. But um, so anyway, so he – that's crucial for the Bengals who have seemed to be coming alive even without Chase the last few games. Mixon's a big part of that. Obviously, I don't think they should run the ball as much as they do. But if they're going to, they need more out of Mixon, and it seems like they're getting it. So just wanted to, wanted to note that. Another quick one, super quick one, is Terry McLaurin. Yes massive stock up since Tyler Heineke has taken over. He hasn't had less than eight targets in the game. He's had at least 70 yards or a touchdown in every game, but one 
Um, so he's really prefer, especially for you fantasy guys. Huge, huge buy for me right now. And that uh, I like what in I my see. opinion, that Washington offense is stock up too. They've looked difficult to defend. Yeah, I hate to say it because Heineke's such a. Ugh, I can't <laughs> stand that dude. I can't stand him. I don't know what it is. You know what it is? I the the end of the Eagles game was a perfect example of why I, I can't stand Taylor Heineke. He gets the he gets the lucky, albeit lucky, roughing the passer call to effectively end that game. Yep. And he gets up oh and doesn't God. just doesn't just give a minor celebration like woohoo we won. The dude just he goes Baker Mayfield and you never go Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I think it's a small man thing. It's a small man syndrome thing, Steve. That's These little quarterbacks they they like you know they carry this chip on their shoulder. They think they're against the world and he can't even recognize the fact that you just won because of luck. I don't know. I that's he's, he just drives me insane. Yeah, I just don't like looking at him. Yeah, you know? that's fair. And I yeah, he did pop up and he threw a fist pump like he just went fifteen rounds and beat Muhammad Ali. Right, right. <laughs> like he he won on a technicality. Anyways, with him in the in the game, as long as he's the starter, McLaurin stock up. I did see a report this morning that Rivera's considering going back to Wentz. Please God no. Their offense but, looks way and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel since Heineke's taken over. And this is just this is just a feel thing. I don't necessarily have numbers on this because I don't know how I, I would have to really dive deep. But I just feel like their offense has been more multiple and they've been more creative with Heineke at quarterback because they kind of have to be. They just do a better job of staying on task, staying on schedule, right? Because Heineke he makes... doesn't. He's not. He's he's has a very small lane of where he operates. It's from yeah. okay to okay. <laughs> it's okay to a little bit better than okay. right whereas Carson Wentz his variance is massive boom to massive bust yeah and with the weapons that they have they don't need a boom or bust quarterback they just need someone to be okay because they have so many right. guys at at receiver and just guys that can make things happen after the catch make things happen with the ball that they just need Heineke to be okay because their defense is solid. Their defensive line wreaks havoc on teams. And yeah. they just need they just need Heineke to keep him in games. And that's what he's been doing. Yep. Exactly. And you know, Wentz, he his whole his whole career, the number one thing you can say about Wentz is he makes the easy things look very <laughs> difficult. So difficult. <laughs> And Heineke just does the little things better than Wentz. Um, it's yeah. it's sometimes so like watching a toddler try to like gain a new skill. You're like, all right, we just have to <laughs> let them suffer through it, and hopefully they'll just kind of get it. Yeah, and he's Wentz just never gets it, unfortunately. Right. Well, and as far as McLaurin goes, too, Steve, I if you watch that game against the Eagles. It should be a good affirmation of his skill because I think sometimes his quarterback play has been so bad you start to doubt what he's capable of, yep. even though we've seen. But man, he—I don't think a receiver's given Slay the ass kicking that McLaurin's given him in years. He's it's probably been McLaurin's four years, five years. Slay, like I swear to God, he has McLaurin to Slay. is, yeah. is Slay's kryptonite. Now, I we talked about it, me, you, and Chris. We were talking about it during the game of like. I don't know what Philly was doing on the back end in their secondary. They were playing. It seemed like they were playing such a soft zone 
when all year they had been very aggressive, attacking the ball, mugging receivers, just real making it just making it difficult for receivers to get open. They played a lot more of yeah. what felt like a soft zone this week, and it, it it had a lot of open space and ability to get the ball to these guys. And I think not having Avante Maddox impacted that a little bit because he is so he is very effective in the slot. But it was just yeah. an, it was just interesting how they defended Washington. I think that they, if I had to guess, I think that they thought that if they just dropped into a zone and made Taylor Heineke think they could get him to make bad throws. And he didn't really do that because receivers were getting open. Correct. And I wonder too, if they were like, maybe the game plan was just, Hey, we don't trust Heineke to make consistently make good throws. So we're going to play a little bit further back and just see what he can do. Right. And just force, force him to complete passes. And I think he just took advantage of the the situation and, and looked decent, but um that said mclaurin massive stock up steve we have just a few remaining minutes here i had one more stock down but what do you got on your sheet left i wanted to just touch on the on tampa bay as a team yes i am pushing them stock up they love it you kind of felt and i think everybody felt it coming after that game-winning drive against los angeles that it was trending toward, oh my gosh, the Bucks are dead. Brady's dead. Like, you know, everybody's pronounced Brady dead at some point, but it really felt like it was coming this time if they lost to the Rams. They went down, won the game. Brady said that was awesome. And now they look, they look much more in control. They, they incorporated Rashad White into the running game. And honestly, that it felt like it helped Leonard Fournette as well. Having having possibly two, yeah. a little bit like the change of pace back where Rashad White's a little bit more of a twitchy, fast mover. Fournette obviously is just a bully ball guy, and it felt like it helped there. Um, they got they were targeting and getting Julio Jones more involved. Brady was making throws that Brady makes like the big time throws and fitting it into tight windows. He was making those throws and and doing that again i just the way that they're progressing looks very good in a division that is so easily winnable like it's so easy to get right in that nfc south right now because there's no competition behind them i mean atlanta's their biggest competition and we've talked ad nauseum about what we think about atlanta so like it, it sets up perfectly that hey we've hit the halfway point and they're starting to evolve I thought that their defense looked better. They contained that Seattle offense that has been so explosive. They really prevented a lot of those pop pop runs by uh, Kenneth Walker. Their run defense looked to be what it had been last year, where they're stuffing the middle. They're really, really making it hard for guys to get to the second level and get to their linebackers. And that's what yep. and that's what their defense is predicated on is just stuffing the run in the middle and then they have athletes on the back end that can make things happen and they, you know, they can then get uh try on Shoyanka and guys like that to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. They're, they're looking like the team that we all thought they would be this year. They're starting to round into form. Yes. It's only been a game and a drive. I understand that. So then there's <laughs> a lot of time to happen, but it just looks like the scheme 
the mindset, everything about that team really changed after that Rams game. And so I said, stock up. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tampa Bay kind of go on a little bit of a run here at the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. And I was going to do stock up on them as well. Um, Was that your last one? No, my last one ties to this though perfectly because my stock down, it's a stock down and it's the Atlanta Falcons. And when you juxtapose these two and the situations they had, they both had an opportunity to take hold of that division this week. Um, The Buccaneers didn't, or they they took care of business. They went into Germany and beat the Seattle Seahawks 21 to 16. And the Atlanta Falcons, who had an easier path to take control of the division, playing the, the Carolina Panthers, they lost by 10 points to the Panthers. So stock down for the Falcons, stock up for the Buccaneers. I love it. One of the things I'm really noting about the Buccaneers, Steve, that I absolutely love and think could really change their season is Chris Godwin. Now, look, at he was coming off of an ACL, you know, repair and recovery. Yep. That takes time. Yep. He did not look like the same player for the first five, six games he was back. Now, going into week 11 – he's starting to look like he's back to himself. Not 100%, but he's getting there. This week, he actually made explosive plays downfield, which when he had his breakout year, that's all he did was, you know, contested catches down the sideline, great step. He's so good at disengaging at the top of his stems. Yes. Like, he's not not the most athletic guy in the world. He's not going to crush you with some speed or quickness, but his technique and his ability to disengage at the top of his stems is top-notch. And Seattle trots out some big freaking corners, and he was still able to do it against them, Tyreek Wollin and Kobe Bryant. And um, I thought Godwin looked awesome in this game, and I think like those explosive plays, they desperately need that in this offense. Yeah, it is going to help Brady so much because it's going to start to stretch the field out. Um, we also saw Julio Jones make a good play. Yep. Granted, it was a busted coverage that touchdown he had was a busted coverage, but. What did you see on that play that you haven't seen in from Julio in years? Athleticism, burst, the speed, bro. Speed, yeah, the burst. It. Yeah, it was a busted coverage, sure, but he hit the gas and no one was catching him. Yeah, and that's, we have not seen that from Julio in a long time. And not a drive. I think it was a drive earlier. Tom Brady overthrew Julio Jones, who was who had two steps on the mm-hmm. corner on a go route. It was like the first drive of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, like. Yeah, that had big play written all over it, and you know Brady just yeah. Brady just misses him a little, overthrows him a little bit, and yep. like that. If, if Julio Jones starts getting more involved, like that's another team that has just a stable of weapons, like and guys that just yes. win routes. That's the biggest thing, and that's what that's why where Brady excels is when he has guys that can just win routes, and having Mike Evans, who's one of the best separators in the league. Chris Godwin, who's one of, who's a very, like you said, a very savvy route runner, knows how to work in space. And then Julio Jones, who, albeit he's older, but still, if he can show a little bit of pop and, you know, if he can give you three impact receptions a game, whether it be a third down or a deep ball or a play like this where he gets open in space, like that, again, completely changes the trajectory of the offense. And, we we had said this like they hadn't really been healthy all year, and it's finally yep. they're finally starting to get fully healthy with those receivers, and it's showing. Yep, they're 
the offense is coming together on so many fronts. Offensive lines tightening up a little bit. Yeah. Replacing Luke Gadeke was good, although um, I think they still have to mask what's going on there, guard. But still, um, offensive line is playing a little bit better. Chris Godwin getting back to true form. Julio showing a spark. Evans is steady Eddie. They need him to be that. He's been that. Uh, Rashad White emerging. Yep as the player they thought he could be, that's huge for them. And eventually it will leak into the pass game as well. Cause he's a very good receiver. Yes. I know Brady loves Fournette on those dump offs, but Rashad white can certainly do a lot with the ball in his hands in the, in the passing game. But that's huge. Um, Kate Otten. Yeah. He's emerged as a really, he, when I, he passes the eye test very well. Mm-hmm. When you just watch him play, he looks like a, a baller. To yeah. Me. Um, he was their second round pick, right? Yes or a second round pick. I think they may have multiple, but um, yeah, he looks good to me. Kate Otten looks good. Him and Brady have, are starting to develop a connection too. I think he's, I think he's had three games in a row now with at least three catches. Um, the, these are all good signs for the bucks. And when the offense is playing a little bit better, get your defense off the field a little bit more. Oh, wow. Defense is fresh. They're playing better now. Crazy how that works. Vita Vea it's looks complimentary football, but yeah. And, Real quick before we wrap things up, it is so important what you said about Leonard Fournette and Rashad White both being effective receivers out of the backfield because they defenses can't get a tip on who's in the game. So with with some with some teams like you would, with their you know running back by committee, a lot of the one of the biggest things that people talk about is that. Hey, you can tell, you can kind of tell whether it's going to be a run or a pass by who's in there. You can't do that with, but with Tampa, no matter who's in there, because Rashad white is effective in the past game. Tom Brady does love Leonard Fournette in the past game. Like you can't, there's, you can't key in on anything from that. Yeah. To decide what, what way or what they're going to do, which is huge because it just makes your offense more multiple. Yep. And also, we've seen Brady now for 22 freaking years. And one thing we know about him is when that ball is snapped and he doesn't get what he wants, the play's over immediately for him. Yep. There's no sit around and wait. There's no, as the, the meme would say, F around and find out. <laughs> There's none of that. It's, where's my check down? I'm hitting him now. I'm just, get, we're just, let's just move on. Let's get to the next play. Yep. This wasn't what we wanted. Let's get to the next play. Yep. Those running backs become so important because especially, and I think White's emergence is really going to help with this because Fournette has looked a little dead. Um, little, you know, he's been overweight this year. He's lacking a little bit of burst. They need a guy who can maybe force a missed tackle or two in the past game, and I think White could really help with that. Yep. Um, but that's Brady's thing is like, I don't like what I see. I'm just going to check this ball down. We're going to get to the next play. I don't care if it picks up one or two, three, five, whatever. Yep. Get to the next play. Let's Let's live to play another down. That's Brady's entire mentality. That's why he's been so successful. Um, he's one of the few quarterbacks that checks down as often as he does that doesn't get ridiculed for it, right? Because he's like, he's he's just so decisive is what it is. Right. It's not it's not a, a Justin Herbert thing where it's like, I'm scared of what's happening, so I'm going to check it down. It's just not, this play's done. Boom, let's just move on. Yep. And he's he's always looking for, for the situation he wants. So. Yep. I do think that's very, very important for this offense. And everything seems to be coming together. Um, I don't want to overreact to a game or two, but it does seem like 
everything is coming together for them. And they're in the driver's seat to win that division. Let's face it. Like they're, they're going to be a playoff team. So uh, yeah, unless something catastrophic happens, I think you can, well, of course we, we can't, we can't predict injuries. No, but like, like that's that, the though. thing. So, that's yeah. what it would take yeah. for them to not win that yeah. division is something unforeseen. Yeah. Tristan Wirfs goes down. Mike Evans, Brady, it's uh Winfield, which is a great position to be in when the only thing we can say that's stopping you is a, is yeah. a fantasy, is a, you know, a fictional injury. Yes. Um, well, sweet. I, I feel very satisfied with how this segment went. We talked stock up, stock down for an hour and 31 minutes, Steve. It's, I didn't see that coming. We, it's the joy of the NFL this year. It was, you know, we, we all kind of complained about it at the beginning about how, it was all this amalgus. You couldn't really differentiate a lot of teams. It was all this hodgepodge of whatever. But you're starting to see some teams separate, and you're starting to see some different things happen. So it's like it's getting more exciting. In my opinion, like the last three weeks and going forward, it's getting a lot more exciting because yeah. while we said there isn't a ton of teams that are breaking away and a lot every team has their fatal flaw, there really isn't like that team that you can really say like they're unbeatable or good luck. And that's the joy of having so much parity this year is that any team can legitimately go in and beat any other team this year, which yep. it, it just feels more like that than any, than any of the last like three or four years, really. It feels like no matter what you can sit there and look at a game and you can say, all right, well, I think this team is going to win, but you can find a pathway that isn't outlandish for almost any team to get beat. Yep. Agreed. I love it. Let's uh, let's get out of here, Steve. We'll see you guys Friday. We do have a, a special guest Friday. Yes, we do. Um, I'm not. I don't want to tease it yet, but he'll be fun. He'll be fun. Um, yes. So we're excited about that. But anyways, um, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. This was awesome. Um, I am your host, Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host, Stephen O'Rourke, and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.